As a OneOuter.com podcast listener, we're offering a special discount for joining PokerXFactor.com. You can qualify for a massive $70 off your sign-up. All you need to do is enter promotional code OneOuter70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0. Pleasure for OneOuter.com today to speak with EPT winner Rupert Elder, um, who also received a lot of coverage in the main event that's just been screened on ESPN. How are you today, Rupert? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Cool, cool. So, um, with the main event literally just you know a couple of days ago, um, did you watch the coverage yourself? Um, yeah, I watched most of it. I actually fell asleep during the heads up, uh, which is a bit disappointing, but uh, I've since heard the result and stuff, so. Yeah, I actually fell asleep during the heads up as well. Um, but late on, I mean, I managed to wake back up and it just showed the leaderboard like Heinz number one. I said, "Oh, he's won it. I can go to bed now." Then. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So how did you how did you find the experience of your uh, main event run and stuff? You know, with the coverage you got, you seem to be, you know, quite a lot on the feature table and stuff. Certainly, what have I, you know, what I've watched uh, already. Yeah, I mean, I spent the whole day at the feature table because uh, Daniel Negreanu and Jean Robert Belong were there. Uh, it was pretty exciting um yes I, I was kind of used to playing on the tv table with sam remo and stuff uh so that was nothing new to me um yeah it was pretty cool it was a really tough table all day though which sucked um, mm-hmm. so w- in terms of the world series how did the rest of the world series go for you did you travel out there with a few guys looking to play a ton of events or did you just you know go out and already pre-selected your events and stuff yeah, there was a house of five of us um, uh, a couple of miles away from the Strip, which was really awesome. Uh, I put, I, my intention was to play most stuff from $1,000 to $2,500, obviously the main event, uh, mm. which I pretty much stuck to for the most part. I think I played a couple of Venetian events as well. Um, it went okay. I had a deep run in a 2.5k 6 max, ended up finishing 18th for... Uh, 25k, I think, and obviously I had the deep run in the main event, which sort of, I think it was a bit more than break even for the whole series. Yeah, yeah, nice. So in terms of the main event, what you know, what's it like to be sort of deep? You know, because I mean, you finished 132nd, you know, six thousand or whatever it was, uh, for 54k. I mean, it's it's quite a decent run. Did you, you know, sort of thoughts during it? You know, of like you could go all the way to the November nine, or did you just sort of just take it as a, another tournament and? play it like hand at a time sort of thing yeah i mean on day five when i was on the tv tables it was such a tough table i really just didn't get much going all day that uh, i i wasn't too optimistic about because i was i think i ended the day a little below average chips uh and then on day six i was out fairly quickly within the first level so i i never really got to that stage where i, I really started to look look towards the november nine or anything but uh, it was it was definitely pretty exciting to get that far. And, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially with something about the ESPN coverage of the main event. It just seems to still do it with, like, Norman Chad and stuff. It seems to be sort of good for the game. And, you know, everybody sort of like, oh, tournaments. But they, a lot of people, even, like, diehards to the average fans, sort of always watch the main event, you know, of, of the coverage. 
Yeah, it was really awesome this year, especially with the the delayed feed of the whole cards. Even uh, on on my table, when I was on the feature table, uh, I had people like tweeting at me what what people folded and you know um, different different hands that were yeah. shown on the feed 15 minutes later. So that was pretty awesome. Uh-huh. Pretty weird dynamic as well. I guess. Yeah, I was going to say what was the dynamic with that in terms of sort of. You know, leveling stuff that they know if you've checked what they've had previously when it wasn't shown down, etc. Was there any sort of interesting spots because of that? Or, um, yeah, they, I mean, they mostly revolved about uh, Jean Robert Balland, who was playing particularly, definitely a lot looser than everyone else at the table, mm-hmm. uh, and he had a few interesting hands where he showed up with some creative plays. Uh, but yeah, I mean the main dynamic is generated from the pre-flop play in general, where people are like, getting to like three betting and four betting wars, and they weren't showing the whole cards for that. So it was right. uh, yeah. That's right, because there had to be a flop, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you know, from the main event and stuff, we'll sort of go back, to, rewind, you know, back to the start. I had a look at your uh, Hendon mob, and I've obviously obviously read through your blog uh, even before you know I was going to interview you, not just for research. <laughs> I, uh, I enjoy I enjoy your blog. Um, you know you're an economics student and stuff. That's what I studied, and I sort of looked through your Hendon mob. And you had a cash way back 2006 WPT five years ago, so you know you're you're relatively you know well versed and experienced and stuff. And how what was your sort of like start in poker for people that that sort of don't know? Um, I guess I started playing in sick form uh, along with friends, uh, including James Keyes, who's also had some success in poker. Mm-hmm. And then I went to university. I did. I went to Imperial College in London uh, for about five months before I dropped out after going to the PCA and getting a min cash. So I, I obviously thought that was the best poker player in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then I guess I just took some... I didn't really enjoy it at Imperial anyway, so... Uh, then I ended up going to Warwick in uh, in October of that year, so I, I took off from March to October, uh, just playing poker, but not playing very well, I don't think. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then I just played more at Warwick, and um, once I graduated with a pretty poor degree, I decided to go full-time. Right. So that's what I enjoyed about your blog when I was reading it. You know, I'm, I think it was due to the uh, EPT when I interviewed Barry Greenstein for the podcast and we were talking about, you know, poker life and balance and stuff. And he said he actually spoke to you. I think it was maybe in Madrid or something yeah. um, about sort of that poker balance life stuff. And um, that made me sort of like have a look and uh, I read your blog. And what I did is I went way back, you know, and uh, read through um, bits and pieces, and it was interesting to see like you were still at university and still sort of um, you know blogging away very professionally. You know, I think you were showing maybe your poker tracking or holding manager stuff, and you know you seem to sort of uh, take it pretty serious from the start. Would that be a correct sort of assessment? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was pretty degenerate when I was starting out, even even until like. Maybe until like midway through my second year at university, and actually in my second year at university at Warwick, sorry, um, I staked a guy and he ended up winning the Sunday Million, so I got like a hundred thousand dollars from that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I went on my first trip to Vegas and lost a lot of it back. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I was I was pretty degenerate for the first few years, and then eventually when I graduated, I sort of realised that well, I'm not going to get a job with this degree, so mm. I've got to start, you know, taking this seriously. I 
moved from tournaments to cash games and uh, started at 25 cent, 50 cent and just worked my way up. Mm-hmm. So um, how did you sort of find it when you were starting out in terms of building a bankroll? You know, you say you're a little bit of a degenerate and stuff. What was your sort of money management like then? Um, it was pretty appalling in, when I was younger, when I was like 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I, I got the hang of it uh, after I completed university. Yeah, what were you doing? Were you literally sitting, you know, you've got a few hundred dollars in your account and that was on the table? So. No, I mean, okay, so there was there was one time in my first year I had $6,000 in my stars account. I was mostly playing between like $27 sit-and-goes and, goes and uh, whatever limit, about $60 sit-and-goes. And, goes. and uh, I was doing okay at them. Like I had a, pr- a pretty small ROI, but I was doing well enough to make money at them. And then one day I just had a really bad session at them. I decided that I was going to sit at 10.20 and try and win it back. <laughs> <laughs> I think I ended up winning a buy-in and then quitting, and I posted it in, uh, on 2 plus 2 in the BBV forum and just... It was just complete idiocy, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people have, uh, have been there. You know, it yeah. seems to be you have a bad session and I'm going that mentality, I'm going to try and get even for the day sort of thing. And yeah, it, was... it can either sometimes work out, like you say, you win a buy-in and then it sort of hits you, you're off the table straight away or yeah. you can just do your whole role. I think yeah. it's, you know, 50-50. So um, when you find yourself, you know, you say cash games. So was it mainly cash games at the start then? Is that... What you built no, up the role, or was it the sit and goes? I pretty much uh, started playing sit and goes. I guess I really enjoyed them. Well, when I when I very first started, when I was in sixth form, I was playing. Uh, uh, well, at, at school, I was playing sit and goes with friends, but online, I'd play. I was a little bit underage, but I was playing uh, small stakes MTTs on uh, micro gaming. I think it was, mm-hmm. and uh, I really enjoyed the MTTs, and then. Eventually, as I got better, I decided that sit-and-goes were going to be a pretty good way to just make money easily, and, and they were for a while, and then, I, I don't know, I just sort of enjoyed MTTs, so I played some MTTs, and then eventually when I graduated, like all my friends were playing cash, and they were all making pretty steady money at it, so I decided to switch to cash. And you switched to cash games. And so when you were when you started to take it you know, a little bit more professionally and stuff like that, Again, what was your sort of, uh, you know, people preach money management and some people say it's all individual and stuff, but as a sort of general rule of thumb for someone starting out and to take it even, you know, to sort of maybe not professionally, but semi-professionally or whatever, what would you say the sort of, you know, the buy-ins for like the cash games and stuff at like 50 NL or, you know, what what do you what would you advise? You know, it, it ranges from people saying 20 to 100 buy-ins and stuff like that. Um. Well, it, it kind of depends on how confident you are in the games as well. But I would say, as as at as, as a minimum, I'd want uh, thirty buy-ins, um, mm. and uh, I I'd be somewhat comfortable moving up at anywhere between forty and one hundred and fifty buy-ins. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, I'm not entirely comfortable at five ten right now, uh, but I'm uh, fairly decently rolled for it. But uh, I still probably uh, wouldn't would would consider skipping some of the decent games, but not brilliant, not amazing games. Yeah. So just now, how how many sort of tables do you play online just now? Uh, if I'm playing cash, then I'll play like um, six to eight tables, I guess. Mostly, but a lot of the time it's just like four to six because there's not really good games running. Yeah. Uh, but if I'm playing tournaments, I only really play tournaments on Sundays. And but I, I, I try to make a point of not missing a Sunday. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, then I'll play up to 15 or 18, I guess. But I, mm-hmm. I'm probably at my most efficient around 9 to 12. Right, right. And is that six max, yeah? Uh, cash games, yeah. Yeah, six max cash games. So um, take us through, you know, you're sort of plugging away, you're taking it more seriously, you're starting to build a role, and were there any sort of setbacks initially, you know, any big downswings you had to deal with, or did you doubt, you know, your choices at any point? Or yeah, definitely. Like I mean, when I graduated, like, having gone from, like, having $100,000 in my second year of university, by the time I graduated, I had, like, $2,000 in my name. It was pretty ridiculous mm-hmm. degeneracy and um yeah so i started at nl50 with 40 lines and then grinded away for a while and it seemed like i wasn't really making progress so several times where i logged on to job seeking websites and just thought maybe i should uh consider start to consider this and then i don't know things i always seem to just land on my feet there was one time in uh i think it was the october after i graduated so i must have graduated in like july and then in october um, my friend bought 50% of me in a Baltic Festival satellite. It was a tournament in Estonia. Mm-hmm. Um, the buy-in buy to the satellite was $215 on stars. I ended up winning the seat for like 2K. It was like a 1,000 euro tournament. Mm-hmm. And we went to this tournament, the four of us, myself, James Keyes, Thomas Partridge, and Scott O'Reilly. Um, and we all did like various swaps and things. And it ended up that uh, two, of, two of them, Thomas and James, ended up getting heads up. And uh, so I think I and they they did the deal heads up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up getting like ten thousand dollars from that, which was pretty substantial to me at the time. And then uh, I don't know, things didn't really go too badly from there. Yeah. So um, what was your sort of feeling? You know, you said you had a hundred thousand from the Sunday Million, you know, staking um, escapade, yeah. and then you went to Vegas. Was it cash games or just like? tournaments way outside your role you were playing like over there yeah i think tournaments way outside my role and probably a bit outside my ability as well i mm-hmm. i was i was playing online tournaments as well which were probably considerably out of my ability level uh, yeah. so it was just all-round stupidity mm-hmm. <laughs> so then you, you started to well you learned the lesson you didn't keep going you know because many people do that and then go back and keep doing it again and rinse and repeat and yeah never seem to go on but you started you know taking the ept to, to one side just now, you, you sort of built up then, you moved up the limits with the cash games pretty, you know, without, obviously there was periods of downswings and stuff like that, which is natural, but it was pretty smooth for you to just sort of steadily build a bankroll from that. Yeah, I mean, I got to the stage where I was playing 2-4 pretty comfortably, uh, I think it was around October of last year, and then... Uh... <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to chop the full tilt Sunday million. Uh, it was a $640 buy and $1 million guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So a bit bigger than their normal 750k major that used to exist. Uh, so I got like, I, it was a cash of like 150000 but I think I sold 60% or something. And I ended up with like fifty dollars or $60,000, which is obviously mm-hmm. huge at the time. Uh, and I just continued to grind 2-4 until the new year. And I... I think it was the start of March. I went. Uh, I won a seat on iPoker to APT Manila, uh, which was somewhat undesirable to travel to because it was a two thousand dollar tournament and the, the flight tickets almost cost that much. Yeah. yeah. But nevertheless, I went anyway, and uh, I, I ended up playing a whole load of tournaments in. Uh, yeah, it was April actually, in April and some of May, uh, which which finished in San Remo, which obviously I won. So. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, like San Remo, obviously, you know, that was a huge score first in APT, 900 and odd thousand euros or whatever it was. Um, you know, you mentioned selling pieces of yourself and stuff like that. Did you have 100% of San Remo or? No, I, I had like 33%. Well, I, I also yeah. had, uh, I bought 1.5% in Max before the tournament, which was pretty All cool. right. <laughs> <laughs> so I got some more from that. But yeah. Yeah, cool. So the EPT, how did you sort of, um, I was looking through, I think you cashed in uh, Berlin uh, in the same month, wasn't it, April? Yeah, so that month, April, I went to APT Manila, then it was, um, I think it was, uh, what did I fly to? And then I think I flew straight to EPT Berlin, and then I went to GSOP Seville, the Irish Open, and then we finished at EPT San Remo. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I cashed three out of five of those. So when you were playing uh, San Remo and stuff, how how did the sort of tournament go? Was it one of these that, you know, was there any points? I've heard a lot of EPT champions and players that have won a lot of events like that. Some points like, oh, I was down to such and such, you know, on day yeah. one early and stuff like that. How did the sort of tournament go? You know, obviously, like, just sort of, like, broad stroke. For you, like, mindset-wise, did you, was it a steady climb? Or when did you actually think, you know, I've got a chance of sort of winning this? Um... Well, I guess it's a similar sort of story for me. So you start with 30,000 in chips, and I think after level two, I was down to like 5,000. <laughs> and I was playing pretty badly for the most part. I remember making a really bad call with Ace tie that uh, I regret at the time. And then, uh, I don't know, some guy spewed his chips off to me, and I got a double up uh, to 10K, and then I got moved table to a table with one of my good friends from university, Nicholas Cardin. Uh, French guy and uh, or Belgian or whatever, and um, <laughs> uh, I don't know why, but like him being at the table sort of made me focus a lot more, and I felt like I played a lot better. And I ended day one with uh, ninety or a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of it was kind of a blur until day five, the penultimate day, and uh, really early on in the day, I got aces against ace king, and then pretty much just completely ran over the final table bubble on my table. Right. Uh, yeah, and then obviously at the final table, I was joint chip leader with Max, so I felt I had a really good shot. Yeah, so obviously it's a stupid question to ask what one in 930,000 euros feels like. I can imagine it, you know, they're the worst things to do in the world. <laughs> yeah. but, um, what did it sort of feel like in terms of winning a, a tournament like that? How much was that sort of like a tick off the bucket list or whatever for you? Or it was absolutely incredible. It, it it took so long for it to sink in. I remember, like, even a month after, I just couldn't really believe it that that it had happened. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome. Uh, it, it, one one thing that was a little bit annoying about it, I'm sure I'm not going to get much sim- sympathy for it, but <laughs> I had to spend like an hour doing like media interviews for various Italian television and whatnot. So I, I was pretty desperate for a pint at that point oh <laughs> <Fair, yeah. laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it all. <laughs> yeah it's now time for the sponsor strategy segment brought to you by pokerxfactor.com hey everybody this is alex cambaris for pokerxfactor.com no matter who you are poker sometimes has a way of convincing you that you're not very good at it players who have been winners for years often hit a downswing for months at a time and it convinces them that the game has simply passed them by This leads to them attempting to make drastic changes to the winning style that they've become comfortable with, which typically creates a catch-22 of more losing. While it's obviously important to be constantly studying your game and poker in general, it's also important not to overreact to downswings. If you're confident that you're a winning player and it's been proven for a long stretch of time, 
then don't let a little losing change your entire game. Lengthy downswings happen even to the best players in the world, and sometimes running bad can make you feel like you're playing bad. Always be working on your game, but if you're a winning player, don't go out of your way to completely overhaul your playing style just because of a bad run. Again, this has been Alex Camberis for PokerXFactor.com. So um, it was a great start, obviously, for the year to go to Vegas for that confidence and stuff, and obviously the bankroll, and it must have just relaxed you to sort of like enjoy the, enjoy the series almost, or... Yeah, definitely. And uh, beforehand, my friend had just got a job in London. He was like, "Oh, should we move to London?" I was, you know, I was pretty up for it. But after after that April, it was uh, things weren't looking too good, and, and uh, I was sort of reconsidering whether I really wanted to move to London because it's pretty expensive and whatnot. And then after Sam Remo, I gave him a call, and I was like, "Yeah, I think we can, uh, <laughs> yeah. we can make the move now. <laughs> just just check out a penthouse somewhere." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're saying that and you've made that score and stuff. So to get to the point that, you know, you were making a good role and stuff, were you one of these guys that sort of student of the game and took things, you know, obviously very seriously, tracked your results and stuff like that. But how much did, you know, was it training videos? Was it talking with like-minded people? What was it that sort of gave you the breakthrough? Because you know, there's lots of guys out there grinding cash that just still go round and round in circles and, for whether it's not working on their game or bad money management and stuff, they just never seem to, you know, make that step up. And I'm not talking about becoming a nosebleed player. I'm talking about making, you know, a, a good living at three six or five ten or whatever. What do you think the sort of the difference is? Yeah, I, it's hard to say really. I mean, I I, I I spend a lot of my time game selecting, which is quite somewhat frowned upon bum hunting and whatnot, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I watched a lot of videos, uh, especially on Bluefire. I really like their videos, um, and talking with friends and stuff. It it it, it all helps, like as a, when you bring it all together. Uh, I think there's there was a point where I sort of just clicked and things fell into place. I remember struggling moving up from uh, fifty cent one dollar to one two. I made a post on my friend had like this private forum where where he had his horses on there and a few friends and stuff. I made a post saying, I'm having real trouble, like, thinking about hands and hand reading in real time. But when I think about it off the table, it was a lot easier. I think it might have just been down to a lack of experience at doing it. Mm -hmm. And I eventually got better and things fell into place. Yeah, it seems to be that if you take some extra time on a decision, because when you look at hand histories after the fact, you go, oh, what did I do there? Or what did, you know, that was so obvious, except I should have done this. But in the heat of the moment, almost people people seem to rush. Yeah, and definitely. Especially online, I think it's when you're clicking. You know, if you're playing a few tables and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, a lot of people say everyone should sort of slow down their decision making. Yeah, I mean, there were there were times when I got to show down. I have literally no idea how I got there, or uh, sorry, got <laughs> to the river. And I was just like, well, what am I meant to do now? I have, I, <laughs> I have no idea what the action was, or you know. Yeah. So you seem to be mixing, you know, successfully cash games and. Uh, you know, tournaments and stuff like that. So what do you think, a, a thing I've found with myself and a lot of people, you know, have talked with me about is how important is it to perhaps, especially when you're starting out and not obviously just starting poker, but if you're starting to take it more serious than just, you know, recreationally, how important do you think it is to focus on, say, cash games or tournaments or, you know, or sitting goes or, sit, you know, sitting goes in tournaments are slightly, you know, uh, sort of like overlap, but, what do you think about focusing on something until you've 
sort of become a success rather than just running around and you know involved in everything yeah i think i think it's really important to just focus on one aspect of poker one game and uh try and Mm. try and get good at that before you venture out into other things um there's a lot of crossover especially from uh well from all three uh sitting tournaments and cash games but I, I i found that when i got better at cash games my tournament game improved drastically because my hand reading was just so much better and yeah. then the stuff like i mean the stuff when you're 40 big lines and lower you can you can kind of get with experience with tournaments and you, you sort of just figure it out over time it's mm-hmm. not especially difficult stuff uh yeah i mean there, there's obviously a, a decent amount of skills with it but if i feel like everyone could do it if they put the time in yeah well i spoke with uh you know channing you know his black belt poker and stuff staking players and he says he always looks to stake good cash players for tournaments because you know no one can play enough live tournaments in their lifetime to get a, a decent sample or whatever so he just thinks that they're sort of more plus ev you know a good cash game player although it's a tournament just in terms of like you say hand reading etc but then also people argue like you say when you're playing with maybe even shorter than 40 big blinds you know the, the 20 big blinds the 25 big blinds it's a lot of uh tournament players have, have then got the edge in that situation would, would you agree with that or? yeah i think that's fair i mean uh some a lot of the cash game players when they first move to tournaments or if they're just playing a tournament for fun or whatever when they get down to 20 big blinds they think it's pretty much a joke and the whole thing's over <laughs> they, they just fling it in with something awful and in a terrible spot where the guy's probably not raising that light or whatever mm-hmm. and they overestimate their fold equity and things so yeah so just in terms of you you touched on it there and of it you know tournaments and cash games that there are crossovers and stuff question i usually sort of ask people is just in terms of like overall poker uh, mindset and i don't mean about you know dealing with tilt and stuff like that i just mean in terms of decision making are, are you from the school of if a spot's plus EV, you'll you'll just go for that. Or are there certain situations where, although it's plus EV, you may fall to find a better spot? And do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean it. It, it doesn't make sense to take a plus EV spot if you're gonna if taking that spot means that some of the time you're gonna miss out on lots far more plus EV spots. So yeah, there's there's definitely spots where you should be uh, folding, even though it's plus EV. Uh, to, just so that so, okay, say say you're in a war with a regular at, at in a tournament, and um, you, you you've got like this three betting four bet four betting dynamic. It's pretty common in uh, in tournaments, but yeah. there's also eight whales at the table. It, it obviously doesn't make sense to like get it in in some stupid flip or something mm-hmm. against a regular when you could just wait and stack all the whales and yeah yeah. So it's it's totally dependent on that, you know. Like although a plays plus EV, then if you think, especially in tournaments, I think it's obviously it's more important in tournaments because yeah. cash games you can you should be able to reload with a bankroll etc. Yeah. So yeah. you're just pushing. So in a cash game, you're looking to just push every sort of EV plus EV spot, um, and in a tournament, you're perhaps taking into account how easy you can pick up chips with you know picking up the blinds and antes and stuff or. Uh, avoiding flips and sort of maybe like without showdowns and stuff like that so you might fold you know um two ten as you say if you're in a war and you've got two tens and you think you're ahead of the guy's range or whatever you might put that away because you know you can get better spots and stuff like that even though that might be plus ev sort of thing yeah maybe 
Yeah. And also in a tournament, it's not just who's at your table. Like, uh, say, say, take take day my day five in the World Series main event. I had a really tough table. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I tended to just try and play tight just because I knew that there were so many uh, more recreational players in the field. So mm-hmm. if, if I could make it through the day, then it was a decent chance I was going to get a much softer table on the next day. Yeah. And uh, as it turns out, I did and then bust second level, first level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's well played me. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're back now and stuff. What's your sort of plans for the rest of the year um, with, you know, like tournaments and cash games? What's your sort of uh, week in poker? Is it is it mainly online? Uh, yeah, I've mostly been playing cash this week. Uh, on Monday, I'm going to Greece for EPT Lutraki, and then I'm going to play GUKPT London at the end of the month, and then uh, I'll probably go to Prague for EPT Prague and GSOP Prague as well. Yeah. So do you sort of enjoy the... You, you seem to... Well, obviously you enjoy them if you're travelling to these live events and stuff, but you seem to have a, a, a good balance, you know, grinding away the cash and... Uh, making money there and an income and then go and play in these these live events do you think that's the sort of uh well it seems to suit you or uh, that's what people should aim for um i don't know if people should aim for it as such but i really enjoy it because i really enjoy the traveling and seeing new places and seeing old places as well uh yeah. like it's just nice to get out of the house i get quite bored at home so mm-hmm. uh, especially in the winter it's quite miserable and sort of gets dark at four thirty and no, don't really want. Like in January, I'm I've got quite a big trip planned for uh, PCA Aussie Millions. I can do some travelling around New Zealand mm-hmm. and Hong Kong, so that should be cool. right. Right. Yeah, Hong Kong seems to be uh, well. Macau seems to be sort of the the new sort of hub for poker, doesn't it? Is there? It seems to be lots of well, the large cash games and stuff with Dar and that, but also poker stars have got a room there, don't they? And they've uh, it seems to be sort of kicking off there as the next big boom. Yeah, I mean, I've only been there once. I went there a couple of years ago, and uh, I found it the most depressing place ever, so I don't think I'll return to Macau, but <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to Hong Kong to see some friends and you know, see how it is over there. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, I've been to Hong Kong a few times. I, not f- Before I played poker, though, but, uh, so I just I could enjoy my holiday. You know, I wasn't looking yeah. for games or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, Hong Kong was amazing. So, um you know, we're speaking about all the positives and stuff. Um, just like a, for a sort of like few tips for listeners and stuff like that. What about downswings and stuff? What What do you sort of uh, talk to yourself? What voices in your head are going on when you're going through a downswing, whether it's cash, you know, or tournaments? Um, I don't know. Downs downswings are probably the toughest thing to deal with in poker. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't really know how I deal with them to be honest. I guess. <laughs> I get pretty miserable for a while and then try and grind through, maybe take a few days off, but yeah, uh-huh. it's probably not the best attitude to, to take on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I just try and play through them for the most part. Uh-huh. It can definitely be tough sometimes, though, when you're on a downswing. Yeah. How big are you on the sort of mental side of poker? You know, the Jared Tendler book, Mental Game of Poker, is getting a lot of uh, coverage just now, and that sort of aspect of the game, you know, sports psychology and stuff, is that anything you sort of consider or look into or do you just sort of yeah I, de- I definitely think about that um i haven't actually read jared's book but i read uh tommy angelo's one which i thought was awesome the elements of poker yeah um yeah i try and i try and just keep my head up most times and try and be happy for the most part mm-hmm. i mean it's it's a pretty uh cushy living if 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 done correctly so i just need to just not not worry too much about it and just enjoy it i think yeah 
Um, so I usually like to end on like you know a couple of tips for listeners and stuff like that. So the main one would sort of be a sort of generic question. Someone starting out just now with you know a thousand dollar bankroll, um, looking to play, let's let's say tournaments. You know, what would be your sort of advice for to build that up and sort of like go through the go through the stages? Uh, I would recommend that they watch a lot of videos. Uh, the, I found the Poker X Factor ones really good when I was starting out uh, playing tournaments. So I can't, I'm not sure how good they are anymore because I don't have a subscription anymore. But also, um, the um, yeah, they sponsor uh, my podcast. They're, they're excellent. Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, I've had a look at a few of them, and they're very, very good. You know, total walkthroughs, the the ten rebuy and stuff on stars yeah. and. A lot of good instructors I mean, there. I haven't watched a video on there for a long time, but I remember when mm. when I was starting, like the sheets and backs videos were just uh, incredible, and they're they're yeah. really good players, so it's uh, it makes sense to watch good players. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I find I actually think the MTT forums on Two Plus Two are really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think the cash game forums on Two Plus Two are probably worth just skipping because it's mostly uh, as a high uh, noise to signal ratio. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the MTT ones, there's actually a ton of really good players posting good advice if you can uh, uh, sort of figure out who's good and who's not so good. Yeah, there's a cool guy on there just now actually running a thread. Um, Chilling dude, I think his user ID is. Right. Um, and he started, you know, start of the year, one of these, he posted it in like challenges, $300 to 100K um, playing the Turbo uh, 180s. And then once he got 5K MTTs and, you know, people post challenges like that all the time and the thread dies or whatever. But the guy's up to like 70K or something. Oh, wow, that's uh, pretty cool. And he's got, you know, um, a month and a bit left to do it. So he's like really trying that's... to hammer in the volume. It's, but it's a really good thread. I just reminded myself there. Um, yeah, chilling dude. If some, if you search that on two plus two, it's quite a, a decent thread. The guy seems to, I think he's at uni um, as well actually, and he's doing it, you know, not crazy hours and stuff like that. Yeah. And he's been grinding away and grinding away. Which forum is that in? Do you know? Um, uh, two seconds, I'll tell you because I've got the the link here. I've been reading it. Uh, where are we? Chilling thread. It's in poker goals and challenges. Um, okay. I'll put it in the Skype thing for yourself just now, but listeners can sort of, if they just search uh, Poker Goals and Challenges and then search, the guy's username is Chillin, C-H-I-L-I-N underscore dude, and they'll find it on 2 plus 2. That I've actually it. chatted a bit with that guy uh, on in the 2 plus 2 IRC channel, and All right. he's, he's there quite a bit, I think. Although, yeah. I, I don't know him too well, though. Uh-huh. But it just seems good motivation, like you say, when people... I think, you know, a lot of people when they're starting out, they, things like that, guy's actually doing it, that he's not a big, you know, name or whatever. He's sitting there and he's documenting the whole thing. And, you know, threads like that usually die. But when you see it go through, it does prove that, you know, it's, people can still do it if they have the right mindset and work ethic and stuff. Yeah, definitely. I remember when I was starting out, I, uh, I read the Bill Ivey blog. It was like 100, 100K in 100 days or something. And that was pretty yeah. inspiring. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, well, uh, Rupert, um, I've taken up a lot of your time, and uh, I'll let you read the rest of that thread. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thanks very much for your time, and I'll definitely, you know, hope to see continued success on the the EPTs and WSOP and stuff. And we'll maybe get you back on to to discuss how you, you know, you won another one of these. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> 
But it's been great speaking with you. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Ripper. Cheers.